0: That's Roger Labin. He's from the Lockview Desert Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. It's on the border of Michigan's Upper Peninsula and Wisconsin.
1: Our ancestors actually lived up in that main New Brunswick and eastern Canada there. And before 1492, there was a woman, Indian woman, who had this vision. What she dreamed was she was standing in, the, in this river and she was facing that Western direction. So she went to the spiritual leaders and asked for an interpretation of that dream. When the spiritual leaders sought an answer to that, they were given seven prophecies. And what the first prophecy said was that we needed to leave because if we didn't leave, we would be facing death and destruction.
0: Roger says that was the start of his people's migration towards the Great Lakes.
1: The third prophecy said that we needed to follow that direction that the sun sets. And we would know we were at our new home when we would find that food that grows on the water.
0: Manuman is that food that grows on the water. You might know it as wild rice. It's an annual grass that grows a nutritious seed which ripens in the fall.
1: Manuman translates to the good berry. And this word reflects the importance of the staple food that it has become.
0: Roger manages water resources for his tribe. A big part of that job is restoring wild rice. He says manoomin used to be abundant in most of the lakes and streams across the region, even along the shores of the Great Lakes. But in the late 1800s, Roger says it started to decline.
1: In the logging era, there were a lot of temporary dams because they floated logs. They didn't have the, the rail system or the, the trucks carrying the wood, you know, to market.
0: Timber was sent downstream in the early spring when water levels were the highest. Those logs would pull up Manuman on their way. Wild rice was also uprooted by dredging as people built marinas, homes, and resorts on the water. Roger says the damage to the staple food was fast and widespread.
1: Just guessing at it, I would probably say 80, 85% of of the uh, manoumen beds have been destroyed. Our oral history tells us about being able to watch the decline on an annual basis, and maybe even on a daily basis uh, of our rice beds disappearing.
0: Today, Roger Labin is working to bring back manoumen. Both the plant and the knowledge around it.
1: Wild well, rice uh, is really culturally important to us. It's part of our identity. We need to we need to fight to save it.
0: Today, hear from those fighting to save the food that grows on the water. This is Points North, a show about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Upper Great Lakes. I'm Dan Juan Shura. On a late September morning, reporters Patrick Shea and Sierra Clark are canoeing through a lake in northern Michigan.
2: On the far shore, leaves are just starting to turn, orange, red, and yellow. Patchy clouds roll by overhead, casting shadows over the fields of golden-brown stalks sticking out of the water.
3: Those stalks of grass are why we're here. It's monomen, wild rice. I grew up learning how this plant was at the center of my people's migration story, but I had never been out racing myself, at least not until Mary Raphael invited me.
4: I think that's like one of the most important parts about doing this is regaining the knowledge and trying to share it in a good way to young ones or anybody, adults, whoever has that interest in learning more. Mary is a
3: full-time nurse, mother, and beloved Quay. She's Kitchi Wickweedung Anishinaabe from the Grand Traverse Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians, a sovereign nation in northwest Michigan.
4: Uh, There's an older term for it called monedouman, meaning the creator's grain. And we also call the beds the creator's garden. Mm -hmm. And you feel that when you're out there. It's just like you're so connected to nature and all of the life around you. And so that's... (laughs) I guess my soapbox.
2: <laughs> Mary uses a long cedar pole to gently guide her canoe through dense patches of wild rice.
3: In the middle of the canoe sits her daughter, Mani, holding two knockers, short sticks made of cedar wood. Mani uses one to bend the stalks of grass toward her, and with the other she gently taps. And a shower of seeds rain down. Most of it falls into the canoe, but many seeds fall into the water, where they'll sink to the bottom to germinate and grow back next year. In our canoe, I had some knockers as well. I was getting into a rhythm with it, gently brushing the stalks as you do hair, and showering Patrick in seeds. Your legs were covered in monomen.
2: Yeah, they were. It was sticking to the grey windscreen on my microphone too. And I pointed that monomen mic towards Mary who says she always makes a point of being seen when she harvests.
4: We take a lot of pictures when we're out here. And the reason why I do it and then document it on Facebook, because uh, it lets people see that we are actually out here practicing our treaty rights.
2: Mary is referring specifically to the 1836 Treaty of Washington. That ceded most of what's now known as Michigan to the federal government. And in exchange, sovereign tribal nations were guaranteed certain rights in all of that territory.
3: Rights like hunting, fishing, and gathering traditional foods like manoomin. Mary says when people see her practicing these rights, she hopes it's a reminder that the treaty was an exchange. That we're still honoring our
4: way of life here in our homelands. And so um, that's why it's so important for us to take pictures and... and let people know that we actually are out here uh, doing traditional things. And we're doing it in the way that our ancestors did it too. And we still have that knowledge and we're still practicing our traditional ways.
2: Roger Labin, who you heard in the intro, says, like the rice itself, some of that knowledge has been lost.
4: I,
1: I went into some communities where some of the people have very little, if any, recollection. They, they just say, I don't remember it. You talk about the boarding schools, you know, it's shipping our, 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 our youth off to boarding schools um, who were um, not able to continue with their culture. They were taken from their communities to not be aware of what was going on with the wild rice camp and a lot of other things.
3: To help restore that knowledge, Roger is part of an effort to establish wild rice as the official state grain of Michigan.
5: It's a bipartisan effort, so of the total 38 state senators, we had 27 as co sponsors.
2: That's Nat Spurr, a member of the Nottowicepe Huron Band of Potawatomi. He's also vice chair of the Anishinaabek Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party.
5: When you look at the people, the three fires, the Ojibwe, the, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi, the three major tribes which, which once inhabited the entire Great Lakes region. Wild rice accounted for at least one-sixth of our whole economy and accounted for about half the calories that we needed to make it through the winter as a people.
2: Monoman is already the state grain of Minnesota, where regulations are in place to protect wild rice from damage. For example, Minnesota has rules about how long of a boat you can use to harvest, so you're not damaging the plants. There are rules about the length of poles you can use, too. There are also certain times of year and times of the day when ricing isn't allowed at all. That's meant to prevent over-harvesting. Wisconsin also has some similar rules in place. We
5: don't have those in Michigan. In Michigan, there's, there's absolutely no laws and no regulation when it comes to wild rice.
2: Nat wants to see that change. He says for that to happen, the state first has to acknowledge the grain's importance.
5: I think people should embrace that it's, it has not only a, a historical significance to our people and a spiritual significance, but it's important to the whole history of, of Michigan, all the way from top to bottom.
3: I'm standing in Tara John's kitchen. The smells of sautéed vegetables and meat engulf the room as Tara prepares a minumen and venison casserole. We've got some chicken stock going, and I put, just put the rice in. Tara is also Anishinaabe from the Grand Traverse Band, and she works in food sovereignty with the tribe's agricultural department. She discusses the process of monomen, from harvesting to parching and winnowing so the shaft separates from kernels. As she reaches the final stage, cooking and eating the monomen, she compares it to a close friend. Just like a person, when you see a person go through stages of their life, you go closer to them and you understand them better. And it's the same thing with our plant relatives, because I've watched this grass grow from seed all the way up through its maturity, and now I'm going to be harvesting and processing and feeding the people of my community with it. Like, my ideal dream is to be able to feed our people. Since time immemorial, this plant has given our people what we needed to survive. Now we're working to do the same for Manilman. In doing so, we're honoring a sacred, reciprocal relationship.
0: That story was written and produced by Patrick Shea and Sierra Clark. Sierra is the Indigenous Affairs reporter for the Traverse City Record Eagle. Her print version of the story will be published in the October 2nd edition of the paper. Editing for today's episode was done by me, Dan Wanshura. Music by Kai Engel, Pottington Bear, and Ketza. For more stories, subscribe and listen to Points North on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also check out our website, pointsnorthradio.org.